You're listening to The Conservative Conscience. In Washington, politicians are full of half-truths and hot air. The Conservative Conscience is here to help you cut through the rhetoric and noise and explore the politically right way to think about the issues. You'll dive into one of the most insightful conservative minds in America. Conservative Review Senior Editor Daniel Horowitz. Using pure common sense and ignoring the groupthink, Daniel breaks down the major issues in Washington. You are now entering the Conservative Conscience. And welcome back to the Conservative Conscience on Westwood One here at CRTV. This is your host, Daniel Horowitz. And I know it's only Tuesday. (laughs) Only Tuesday. And we are already on our second podcast of the week. And there's a reason for that. I promise you guys... I would proceed to our Meet the Candidates series, which we've kind of neglected because there's so much going on. And how appropriate today of all days, when we we have two articles out today on our website on the judicial emergency that we have. You know, I'm running out of words in the English language to describe the nature of the judicial tyranny that is taking place of how unelected judges are literally engaging in civil disobedience and codifying the Democrat Party platform, and not just the Democrat Party platform, but even the ability to win elections into law and the Constitution. So now, um, you know, immigration policy, marriage, abortion, you name it, is controlled by the courts and even election law, where every single Republican map is being so-called thrown out by unelected judges. While at the same time, the most egregious gerrymanders of the Democrats, including yours truly, I live in Maryland's third congressional district. Google it. It's the most gerrymandered district in the country. And it is still on the maps, so to speak, um, and going nowhere because this is all outcomes based jurisprudence. The left will always win. So until we solve this judicial problem, nothing matters. So there's no better time to bring on our next guest, Art Halverson, than today. Art Halverson is running for Congress in Pennsylvania. Now, he was running in Pennsylvania 9. I don't even know what it's called now. With the <laughs> 13. 13, Art. Okay, well, yeah, it looks like we got that. Art on the phone. So, uh, well, Art, before uh, we bring you b- back on here, um, so 9-13, we, we don't even know how to put on our pants without the courts telling us uh, you know, what things look like. But just to give uh, our listeners a sense of who you are, um, after graduating from the United States Coast Guard Academy in 1977, Art served for 29 years as a rescue helicopter pilot and a flight instructor in the Coast Guard. Um, he eventually served as a senior advisor at the Coast Guard headquarters in D.C. And then after retiring from the Coast Guard last decade, he um, went into real estate investment, owns a bunch of companies, manages real estate across the country as a family farm. He's been married for almost 40 years, six children, devout Christian. Um, unlike many of the other candidates we're going to bring on, obviously, I already know Art. Um, I've supported him in the past. He's run. Uh, Several times he ran a few years ago, and then he ran again in 2016, came within a thousand votes of defeating Bill Schuster, the um, incumbent committee chairman of transportation infrastructure. And that was a pretty big accomplishment. Unfortunately, high turnout, you know, he just came a, a little bit short, ran again as a de facto Democrat just because of a quirk on the balloting. He won the Democrat nomination by default because people wrote in his name. 
Um, and then, you know, Art was asking me a couple months ago, hey, should I run again? And I said, Art, you're insane for running again. What do you think? I mean, do, do you want to just live out your normal life and, and stop, uh, you know, being a martyr on behalf of the cause? But you know what? He announced he was going to run. And guess what? Bill Schuster is now retiring. This is an open seat. And you can get a real constitutionalist in this district in southwest Pennsylvania that will find out its name once the courts grace us with their edict. Um, hey, Art, how you doing? And why well, Daniel, world- thank you. What a great introduction. I didn't know all that <laughs> stuff about myself, but I, I think it's all true, and uh, I'll stand by it. But uh, thank you so much. That was very generous of you. So, so first, before we knew that Bill Schuster, literally a swamp creature, you know, in every sense of the word, before we knew that he was going to retire. Why in the world were you committed to running for a fourth time? Well, because the job wasn't done. We started this, uh, I'm a mission-oriented guy, and we start a mission, we finish a mission, and that mission wasn't done. Uh, Now that mission is done because he chose to retire rather than be defeated. We released a poll that showed that he was... he had 32% re-elect numbers. He could not. He could not survive another run against me, or anybody for that matter. It didn't have to be me, but nobody else was willing to run against him. And I'm crazy enough to keep doing it till we defeated him because he's such a such a caricature of the rhino in in America that uh, he just had to go. This is the reddest of the red districts, or at least it used to be. We'll see how it turns out with this gerrymandering uh, decision, but. Um, in any case, he had to go, and uh, I was the only one that was willing to stand up and keep fighting until we, we ate the uh, ate up the rhino, so to speak. So, and uh, he, he had a lot of things that he could not certify. I was demanding that he certify that not one dollar of taxpayer money, donor money, or personal money had gone to defend himself against sexual harassment. And he's, he's of course, the guy that uh, is living with the chief lobbyist for the airline industry, even as he's trying to pass legislation to privatize the air traffic control system of America. I mean, it's like, uh, it's a caricature. It really is. And uh, nobody would run against him. It's been 46 years since the Schusters have held this seat. 46 years. I, you know, it's just inconceivable. But he's gone now, or at least he's... Uh, He's still doing damage because his term's not up until the end of the year. He's still trying to pass another 25-cent gas tax. And Pennsylvania, for one, is uh, the highest tax state in the country, thanks to both Republicans and Democrats. And so um, our job wasn't done until he was gone. He He announced his retirement on January 2nd, and we were planning on announcing later that week. And so we just moved it up to the same day that he announced his retirement that we were running again. And uh, now, of course, it's an open race, and so it's very different. So, Art, we're, we'll get into transportation policy hopefully later in the show. That's that's a very important Good. point not enough people talk about. But just first to yeah. bring this back broadly. So, you know, he is now gone or going to retire um, about as close as we can get to knocking off a, a, a Republican incumbent in a primary. Now, we've yeah. both seen this many times where basically it's pretty much impossible to defeat an incumbent in a primary, but sometimes when, you know, you, you try a couple times, you get more name ID, you get your message out, it finally looks like they're vulnerable, and then they retire, and it becomes an open seat. And yeah. then suddenly, other people who are never really that outraged by the incumbent, but now that it's an open seat, 
uh, presumably even after the courts finished with their craziness, this yeah. part of the state shouldn't be too affected. Um, you know, it will remain a very Republican district. So right. a lot of Republicans are going to want to run. I see some uh, prominent members of the state legislature are right. now throwing their hats in the ring. Could you uh, just give us a sense of what does the primary landscape look like and what sets you above some of the other challengers? Yeah, well, the, of course, the name recognition is so important. And um, I, the way I ran this campaign was door to door. God has blessed me with some money, and we obviously were able to put some of it in, but to beat an incumbent like that who's spending millions every election cycle, you've got to do more than just try to spend two or 300000 on your own. So I went door-to-door across a 200-mile-wide district, 100 miles north to south, right above the Mason-Dixon line here in southwest Pennsylvania, a very rural district. But I live here because I love this part of the country and was able to retire here after the Coast Guard. And uh, I love the people here. They're, quote-unquote, my kind of people. We, we love the rural lifestyle and um, God's country. And so I related to the people. I met them, uh, did, did all the retail politics stuff. I was able to do that because my business is kind of run by other people now, and I have free time to be able to uh, do that. I know a lot of people don't, so it was sort of unique. But uh, I'm glad other people are in it. That's what we wanted was an open primary after I said 46 years of the same guy that nobody would run against, or him and his dad. And so um, that's good that they've gotten in. It shows that there are some good people who would run if they had the opportunity, and so I'm glad they're running. I think I will beat them because I've got a huge advantage. We've got a very professional team in place, and, and of course, with all the uncertainty of the, uh, that the court has thrown into the mix, um, it's, it's not done yet. We've got, um, for example, two state legislators today that we know we're meeting because they're, t- they're friends and they don't want to run against each other, but they're both now in this district, and so they're trying to decide which of them is going to challenge me. So it's, it's kind of silly, you know, the way things are now having to be worked out. But that's politics, and I'm, uh, I'm going to put up with the frustrations. I want to now go to Washington and uh, support Trump and to uh, fight for what needs to be done, things that others aren't willing to do. I'm self-term limited. I've declared only to serve three terms. I want to work hard for six years, expend myself for the people, and get some things changed. I'm already bulletproof. I'm not uh, trying to create a career. I, I'm going to fight against career politicians and uh, come down there and uh, die on the hill if I have to. So we know, number one, that obviously you are willing to challenge an incumbent, uh, a powerful committee chairman when it was tough, almost succeeded. You're pledging term limits. How else could you assure our audience that you're different? You know, I, well, I'm pledged to, to not raise taxes. I've uh, pledged to uh, just verbally nothing signed here with respect to Planned Parenthood. I'm, I'm, I'm I think the life issue is the number one issue. That's why everything's so crazy is we don't even honor and respect life anymore. But that has Mark, to be let, one let of those just, hills to die on. Let me just cut you uh, off plan- there with Planned Parenthood. So the yeah. problem is this. Voter, and I'm just kind of trying to speak for my audience, and everyone is so frustrated, and that's why I'm going to uh, give you this heavy burden of alleviating this frustration and just yeah. giving people some sort of path. Every Republican candidate, every single one, down to every district, says that we're going to defund Planned Parenthood. The problem is we've had, just since the election, four, um, really five budget CRs, 
and not a single one was there even a discussion, even a debate. It wasn't even in contention whether they would defund Planned Parenthood. What would you do different that we're not seeing this leadership anywhere else? Okay, I I would seek to uh, establish a a caucus, whether it's through the Freedom Caucus or a Common Sense Caucus, I think you've called it, or uh, some other new caucus of either a freshman or others who are as frustrated as you and I are about this issue. And we need to band together, we need to pledge together that we will die after this issue. We will not support a spending bill that includes funding for Planned Parenthood. We have to show the leadership with 30 whatever the right number would need to be to actually force uh, the the cutting of Planned Parenthood funding from a, a spending bill. I, I think that's leadership, that's uh, that's power, that's applying it, pressure in the right places, and that's that's what I think needs to be done, and I'm willing to lead that. Sure. Moving on to another issue. You know, I'm looking at your district, and it's the southwest Pennsylvania, a little bit southeast of Pittsburgh, some of yep. the south central. Um, Franklin, Fulton counties, then it goes up to Bedford and Indiana. Um, you want to talk about the forgotten taxpayer, forgotten consumer. Um, that's really, I mean, these are the Pennsylvania voters that Trump spoke so fondly of uh, throughout the campaign. And I'm watching now on the issue of immigration. I'm watching how nobody is giving voice to the other side of the story. It's all about how much or how little amnesty you're going to grant, but the contours of the debate completely eliminate the forgotten man. What are you yeah. going to do differently than even some of you know, the conservatives that we supposedly like to make our demands more prominent? Well, again, I probably would resort to the same uh, strategy that I would use with uh, Planned Parenthood. We need to find a group of a band of brothers and sisters, but a band of brothers who would would uh, absolutely be unwavering. They would lay the gauntlet down and say to leadership, "These are our demands. These are the things that are not negotiable. If you want our support, if you want to pass a bill, these are the things you're going to have to give us. We have to fight fire with fire. We need to bring bigger weapons into the uh, into the into the fight, and one of those is absolutely intractable demands that we would stick together on. The Freedom Caucus kind of showed some of that, but they, then they started to crack and waver, and um, maybe there were too many. I think they had 60 or 70 people. There were too many, and um, you don't need that many to be a solid block. So uh, things on immigration, things on Planned Parenthood, we, we simply have to lay out our three or four non-negotiables that, that we will not support their, their le- the leadership's legislation until they uh, grant us uh, satisfaction. You know, moving on to the courts, obviously, as we started off the show with, this is really appropriate um, given the news today. We basically have a scenario where Normally, it's federal courts. In this case, it's a state court um, where they are literally it's 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 nothing you can ignore anymore. They are telling the Democrats that whatever you want, we will write into the Constitution, to law. We all understand that Article one, Section four of the Constitution gives state legislatures the authority to draw maps, to prescribe the times, methods and procedures of elections. Certainly doesn't grant the courts um, this power. And yet, time and again, we are seeing, and I understand this in particular is on a state level, but we're seeing, for example, a Pennsylvania federal judge mandate that Trump continue Obama's contraception. 
policy right. of mandating that private employers provide abortifacients um, with it to workers within the state of Pennsylvania, but they're applying that nationwide, actually. We're seeing on immigration a right to immigrate, a right to immigrate and then demand an abortion for these teen UACs from, from Central America and Mexico. I mean, it's on right. and on, and I don't see anyone championing the issue of judicial reform, particularly because you're from Pennsylvania, because the circumstances of how you would presumably get elected. Would you... Commit to our audience that if you are to get there, you will either sponsor yourself or support legislation, at least limiting the power of the federal courts um, over p- blatantly political issues. Well, I, I absolutely would. I mean, the evidence is overwhelming. I mean, you have been so much in the lead on this thing and uh, highlighting the, the egregious nature of the courts. Uh, I think Stolen Sovereignty is the name of your book, and uh, it's because the courts have uh, usurped the authority. Part of that is because the legislatures themselves are so weak. They're full of career politicians who only care about the next election, not the next generation. And so they don't really uh, focus on the key issues that are um, that are facing our country and the, the threats, they're existential threats, all of them, and that we've talked about so far. And if they're not reversed, they're going to fundamentally reshape the nation in the democratic mold, the democratic platform. So absolutely, any, any authority the legislature has to restrict the judicial tyranny, that has to be championed, and uh, absolutely I would do that. Sure, I mean, because as, as you noted, nothing matters. Nothing matters until... This gets settled. And I think, you know, the article that obviously we're going to link to in show notes today uh, that is so appropriate, legislative amnesty, such a contentious issue, such a divisive issue in Washington, not really among the public because uh, most people don't want it. But every time they push this, I've been fighting amnesty since 2006. We've won every single time. But now they've reached a point where they say, you know what? We're just going to do judicial amnesty, and we're going to take it away from the people like we did with life, like we did with marriage, like we did with human sexuality. Now you have a judge in Ohio um, t- literally taking away custody of a 17-year-old from, from her parents right. because and she wants to inject hormones. Right. Yeah. I mean, well, you know what it is? Uh, it's, it's the fact that people that we have in the legislatures are, are weak. They're not leaders. Many of them are failed lawyers. Many of them are used car dealers. Many of them are folks who uh, are getting better pay by being in the legislature than what they could produce on their own. And I, I don't want to paint everyone with a broad brush, but I'm totally underwhelmed by the quality of the people that we've elected. That's because American uh, voters have sort of abdicated their responsibility of selecting good people. And good people don't want to run because it's such an ugly, dirty process. Even their wives would say, stay out of this. I don't want to put up with this nonsense. Sure. It's, it's too hard. And, and good people are... Uh, sort of stay away. So we need to find good people to run. We're doing that very much here in the state legislature within this district. Now almost being full-time working on this political front, I've been able to identify new candidates. We want to continue to do that. We need good people who are willing to serve. They don't have to serve a career. They can serve six years, eight years, and then get back to business. But uh, try to rescue the country in the meantime, in the short term, by uh, running, getting elected, and raising the quality of the people that we have in the legislature, getting leaders, not followers, which is what we have now. That, to me, explains in a nutshell what's, what's wrong with the legislative side. No, and, and that's exactly the point. At some point, I forgot, I think there's a scientific term for it, when a fly or an animal c- 
perceives that it's trapped, but it's not really trapped. It could get out. And the judiciary wields no power. The founders left at the notion that they'd usurp power because they don't have the power of the purse. They don't have the power of the executive branch. They don't have anything. Congress has plenary control over the entire structure of the lower courts and most of the or all of the appellate jurisdiction of a Supreme Court. And yet they will not do anything. I mean, some of us joke around and say, hey, you know, the courts one day could mandate that you have to get a sex change operation. And, you know, a bunch of people in the legislature will say, well, I strongly disagree, but it's the law of the land. There's nothing they'll do. So my question to you is, you know, we're witnessing on a federal level that there is no floor. There's literally nothing the courts could do that will not be regarded as the law of the land or elicit a righteous reaction from Congress. Could you explain to our listeners a little bit what is going on in Harrisburg here, where you have courts literally rewriting maps in middle of elections where people already spent money, canvassed voters, um, and you have a Republican House and Senate. You do have a Democrat governor. Right. So the most liberal governor in the uh, in the. In the country. country, and so the Republican legislature uh, hides me. I don't want to say they hide behind it. I don't want to overstate anything. But they're, they'll, they'll fight him on some things, but he, he gets his way way too much of the time. And I understand they've got to get something past him in order to get it signed, and the realities of the process are, are, are their own challenge. But this was a lawsuit that was filed, and clearly it was... Uh, well, it had to come from the uh, <laughs> from the skunk works of the Democratic Party, where they saw as part of the blue wave to take back the United States Congress. They had a lot of seats in Pennsylvania that they thought they could win if they were able to uh, reverse the gerrymandering. So I, I think it's a calculated move. The lawsuit was filed and uh, got to the Supreme Court that ruled that the state legislature needed to pass new maps here in the in the middle of this uh, um, this primary season. The timing. You know, is, is nuts. But um, the, the legislature couldn't come up with a map. They actually did submit something on time, but it was only by the, the top two or three people in leadership. They submitted something to the governor. The governor, of course, rejected it because he's a liberal governor and he's on the Democratic uh, side who, who wants to uh, re- reduce the Republican representation in the United States Congress. So uh, he submitted a map to the to the uh, the state Supreme Court, but since it wasn't uh, something from the House or from the governor or signed by the governor, the the state Supreme Court said, well, we're going to just do it ourselves. So that's what they did, and they released it uh, yesterday afternoon (laughs) and uh, came up with all new numbers. It... um, uh, change the shapes, and it, it met their qualification, which is that they'd be contiguous, they'd be relatively smooth lines, they not cut up ju- major jurisdictions, that sort of thing. But they, they broke their own rules in some places to give an advantage to Democrats. There's no question about that. It's maybe not as egregious as the uh, re- what the Republicans had done um, previously after the last census, but it's, it's still egregious, mostly because the Supreme Court itself did it, and they don't have any constitutional authority to do that. But uh, that's where we are, and I think that's what's going to stand up standing. Is there any statutory authority that gives the Supreme Court authority with no, the, the none, state? No, none whatsoever. 
None so whatsoever. they're just sitting there with the legislature could have passed it and see if there was an impasse that they could grant that, but they have not done that. They could also grant that power to an independent citizens commission, which is what I've continuously called for, but the legislature hasn't done that either. That could be done in such a way that uh, a new commission could be set up after every census and uh, it could be authorized by the legislature, and that would be a process that um, would be accountable to the voters because the legislature would be responsible for the outcome of that commission. Sure. But um, that, that's the long-term solution here, and uh, if I were going to Harrisburg instead of Washington, that, that's what I would be pushing. Now, the one thing that is important to note here is, again, these are state. this is one area where it's the state Supreme Court doing it. Most other places in the country, it's the federal courts, which is even worse. Yeah. My understanding is they are, at least they are elected or stand for re-election. That's true. It's uh, five to two, <clears throat> Democrat to Republican. And uh, so it's a Democratic Supreme Court. And we'll see if they, uh, if they when they stand for re-election, how this, how this goes for them. I, I think it's political suicide for the judges to be uh, across the country, for the judges and uh, the, the courts to be doing this. But it is a symptom of the weakness of our legislatures that are not willing to stand up to them. I think they actually, rather than make a decision, they just as soon have the court make the decision. That way they can stay in power. A career politician, I I believe, fundamentally thinks that way. They don't want to take tough votes, so they just have relegated it to the the, uh, the courts. That's, uh, in my view, what's actually going on here. As yeah, bad as the courts are and responsible as they are for their own behavior, I think it's it's partly uh, just the uh, abdication of, uh, of making tough choices by the legislatures. Exactly. I mean, the legal term is ad- adverse possession or squatter's rights. I mean, you know, yeah. you kind of allow someone to squat on your property for a long time. In some states, they could, uh, you know, ha- yeah. <laughs> lay a claim a lot to of times it. It's just seven years. Yeah, right. Exactly. And, and that's, I think, the equivalent on a political realm, what they're doing. Um, you know, just so our listeners are understand, you know, there's one thing if we're consistent with state courts, but the problem that's happening here is the Democrats are winning no matter what. So in North Carolina, for example, the state Supreme Court upheld their maps twice, but then the federal court swooped in and suddenly yeah. the state Supreme Court wasn't uh, sacred and it didn't matter. So it's yeah. it's the lowest common denominator of however they could get their maps um, through either the feds or the states. And what's interesting is, you know, you know, even Justice Alito did not want to grant relief at at, at a federal level to this. Right. You say, all right, well, maybe, you know, just he wants to be overly deferential to state courts. But these very same judges, not Alito, but, you know, even Thomas and some of the others, and I like Thomas a lot, they, for the most part, sided with the lower federal courts to strip both the state legislature and the state courts of power um, in North Carolina. So we're yeah. seeing this hypocrisy that the Democrats are winning no matter what. So, yes, judicial reform, I'm telling you, Art, um, if there's only one thing you do in Washington, if it's not some form of judicial reform, none of these issues even matter. I mean, well, that's, that's true. Yeah. I, I mean, what you're describing here in the legislature, it would be the equivalent of Congress and the president not agreeing on a funding bill, you know, right. CR. And then the courts just say the Supreme Court comes and say, hey, you know what? Uh, we, we we can have a government shutdown. Here's a budget bill. I'm writing it. And uh, yeah. I mean, it's it's unbelievable. I mean, even if you believe in a robust judicial review and even judicial supremacy, it's just to put a negative on a positive of a legislature. But the notion that they could legislate a positive upon the legislature, 
um, is just unconscionable. And, you know, yeah. final question, because I do want to move on to more federal issues and, and what you're running for. Um, yeah. Just to get some clarity here, my impression was that the Senate pro temp uh, actually wrote a letter and said, this is nonsense. This is lawless. It is against the Constitution. It's against statute. Um, we're not we're not abiding by this. And a lot of people were saying, wow, we, we needed that. What Whatever happened to that? Well, I, I believe he's still pursuing that, and he's. Uh, I actually got a, a letter, and then uh, I talked to a fellow in another part of the state who's trying to identify candidates who will, uh, I think, what he was trying to get at. He wasn't direct, but uh, he's trying to get some support for that. But I, I don't think that's going to go very far, because that time is in the favor of the Supreme Court. We've got an election coming up on May 15th. We haven't even been able to start our petition drive yet. That's been delayed two weeks. While everyone else is running their petitions, the congressional petitions aren't even being run yet. So this is a perfect storm, and we don't have time. Uh, at, this has only got the last two years. 2020 new census. There'll be another uh, chance at, at this. My sense is uh, uh, not that we fall down and die here, but let's get this election done, and um, and then let's get people in Congress who will fight and put in some judicial reform to keep this from happening. Let's pass uh, a fix for this, which is independent citizens' commissions, and um, and move on. We've already created enough churn here. We're, look, people are losing faith in in our government. People are losing uh, even uh, awareness of who their congressman is. There's so much different, uh, confusing stories, so many confusing stories that people are uh, checking out. They're trying to keep up with it. But how do you keep up with it unless you're doing this full time? You can't. And th- th- that's a good point. I mean, and that's what we're here for. And, and Art, as you well know, I'm always frustrated with the fact that we can't talk over the clamor, the razzle-dazzle of just the daily news stories that, um, you know, I joke around, whatever is political, we don't make political, and what's not political, we do. Um, yeah, the the right. things that we could fix through public policy that are, you know, the result of federal or state statutes or something wrong in government, we don't address. But, you know, if it's something in the culture, um, the, the NFL is doing this, this guy in the Olympics said this, this guy did yeah. this, you know, it, it just outweighs everything and it's kind of like i feel in washington we have a wwe style fight um yeah, yeah I, thought that's exactly, it's, I call it political theater other people call it political theater it makes for great entertainment on tv as they try to weave the different stories who are the key players where's the crisis and where's the climax of the story and the fight and it's it's not about fixing things and making things right for the country making it easier and better for voters to uh, elect leaders it's all about the theater behind it, all the backstories. That's all the news has become. It's fake news, but it's also just entertainment. And, and meanwhile, when it comes to the definitive policy outcomes, uh, both parties are closer together than ever on the, on the most fundamental issues like we're seeing um, on, on the budget and debt and our funding priorities and health care. Um, yeah. Quick uh, what do you call the unibrow party? Yeah, they're, they're all about <laughs> right. raising and spending money, and all this other distraction keeps people uh, just off the, their eyes off the ball while they're raising uh, spending and now raising taxes with this gas tax, twenty five cents. So let's get to that with um, the gas tax. I think that's that's important. You're one of the few candidates I've ever met that actually could speak intelligently on transportation policy. Um, there's there's a crisis now. The pre- in, in that I, I believe the president has some good ideas in theory if he channeled them properly 
But even conservatives are getting sucked into this false dichotomy that either you have crumbling infrastructure or you have to massively increase spending or taxes or both to, at a federal level to deal with it. What say you on transportation? I say, I say uh, a pox on both their houses. I think it's not true. It's a ruse. There, we have plenty of money. You know, you look at the Highway Trust Fund, which is it's not a trust fund like any of those trust funds. It's a misnomer. It's just a, uh, it's a piggy bank for career politicians like, in my case, uh, former opponent Bill Schuster, to dip his hand in and uh, buy votes. To, uh, from both parties in order to increase spending on transportation and infrastructure. Uh, look, the, the roads are not crumbling. The bridges are not crumbling. We are uh, able to maintain our infrastructure with the money that we receive at the 18.4 cents fuel, uh, federal fuel tax and what the states uh, are, are getting. In Pennsylvania, we raised the tax 20, almost 30 cents a gallon. They were making, they brought in so much money after, of course, they put all the businesses out of business near the borders <laughs> because everyone went over the border to get gas so much cheaper to Maryland and Delaware and, and New Jersey. But um, they had so much money, $700 million to be exact, to, that it just all went was shipped over to the uh, state police. So now we've got this huge state police force. God bless them. But um, in my little town here with one yellow blinking light, the other day there were two state police cars sitting on, on either entrance into town. I mean, oh, I can't stand that. Are you, are you talking about those speed traps when it all of a sudden goes yeah, down to? 20? Yeah, now we have all these police, uh, state police, on the uh, drawing wages and so forth. And I'm a, I'm a pro law enforcement guy. I'm just saying we, we, we didn't need the money for the roads and bridges. That was a ruse. They raised the tax. Now they have so much money. They, they sent it all over. Now we built up this big police force in the state. And, yeah, there's problems in this crime, and we need good police uh, forces. But uh, you see, my point is they raised the, the tax. They, everybody believed that all we had these crumbling bridges. They literally reduced the weight limits on bridges temporarily to, to force trucks to drive all the way around. They said they were unloading school buses because it wasn't safe for the kids to ride across, and they'd have to walk across the bridge. I mean, all these stories to... to to uh, create this false impression that we needed uh, all this money. So that that's just my Republicans doing this in my state. So it led to Corbett. He was the only one-term uh, Republican governor that year after he raised the, the state uh, fuel tax. Wow, yes. And um, I, I say good riddance because he lied to us. And, uh, and so my point is on the federal level, then we don't need more gas taxes to uh, fund our roads and bridges. I say leave the money that's being collected at the pump here in Pennsylvania that's going to Washington, just leave it here in Pennsylvania. Don't send it to Washington so we have to beg, borrow, and steal. Mother, may I have some of that money back? Because uh, we don't need that piggy bank called the Highway Trust Fund for guys like Schuster to dole out to all of his uh, crony friends, like Sh like Schumer, who then spends it on the uh, New York City subway system or into the bus systems in Philadelphia. Uh, all, all it's doing is supporting Democratic politics, <laughs> and it's Republicans that are doing it. It's shameful. Exactly. And, and the point is, by having that extra federal stream and not having the states control 100 percent of it, it allows them to be shielded and obfuscate that in-person down to the local roots debate exactly. over prioritization. Exactly. And they're able to 
you know, funnel money to mass transit, things like that. So, right. um, I that, say that keep is, the money at home. We don't need beautification projects down on I-70 in Maryland and all the different ways they try to spend that money. We have enough money. That's the bottom line. We just don't appropriate it properly. And uh, one reason is because we send it to Washington and it gets misappropriated. Um, you know, my final question here, you talk about buying off favors, and I'm seeing a big problem, even with, you know, some conservatives that we like. What's starting to happen is, while they did ban earmarks, what they have now is general legislative log rolling, where they'll package together a lot of big spending bills together with a so-called must-pass bill. Right. And they'll put disaster funding, they'll put, uh, you know, whatever it is. And w- what we're having is the lowest common denominator of everyone's problems. So, yeah. you know, they'll throw in, well, there's a disaster in this state. So everyone, even the conservatives from that state, they'll vote for it. Yeah, then they'll yeah throw like Cruz in- voting for hurricane relief form, it, it muffles him. <laughs> you know, he won't well, get I, reelected I, unless he supports that. And so it takes him out of the, out of the debate. Yeah. It, so it's, how do we uh, change that? Ingenious. It's ingenious. How do we change that? You know, let, let's say you have a series of floods in Bedford County and in southwest Pennsylvania, um, and they attach disaster bill to an omnibus bill. What are you going to well, do about that? Uh, well, I can tell you it's very real, because as a senior Coast Guard officer, one of the ways that we stayed in business in the Coast Guard, because we're the, the weak stepsister, redheaded stepchild <laughs> in the military, is uh, we had every hurricane, we'd get a supplemental. We'd have to go to Washington and ask for money to help support uh, and replace our stocks for things that were expended in response to that hurricane. So it's a very real thing that that happens. And, and and I'll tell you that the monies get inflated and everything gets thrown in and the Washington Monument. Uh, we have to create individual spending bills. These, these omnibus bills are just ways to hide money and to raise uh, spending. And um, it's leadership. Until we get some conservative leaders in Congress, I mean, guys are willing to die for something. We're, we're going to continue to operate this way and we're going to spend ourselves into oblivion. So it's leadership, leadership, leadership. We've got to find men of character, women of character, who are willing to lead and aren't going to succumb to the, uh, the favor factory and the, uh, the donor um, you know, return favor uh, process that we see and going on right now for re-election. Yep, the circuitous money laundering operation to, to get it elected. Yep. I mean, that's, that's what it, it is. is. Um, Art, if you are here right now, if you're in Washington, they're on what they call the district work period this week. When they return next week, what would you be yelping about? What would you be pounding the lectern about? Well, the the uh, the gas tax. I would I would be, and I've written written papers and published them, asking, begging President Trump not to support this thing. Look, if Schuster's name is on it, it's it's bad. And I don't know how he got deceived into thinking that this was necessary. I'm sad, saddened by it. I support so much of President Trump's uh, policies, but this is a bad one. We've got to kill that. It's a transfer of wealth from the rural to the city, from the rural to the urban. It's a regressive tax. We've got to stop raising gas taxes. So I'd be pounding my, uh, my fist about that. Well, that's that's good to hear because there certainly is nobody pounding the fist uh, about a federalist um, approach to transportation. But anyway, Art, thanks so much for joining us and giving our audience a flavor of what you're running on. Um, where could our audience go if they're more interested in your campaign? 
Well, of course, we do Facebook, Art Halverson for Congress. Our website is Vote Halverson. That's H-A-L-V-O-R-S-O-N, VoteHalverson.com. And uh, we'd love to have, oh, we have a CrowdPAC uh, site, and so anyone could do it, reach out to us. My phone number, if somebody wants to call me personally, and some of your listeners have done that, it's uh, 814-623-1118. I'm a transparent guy. If you want to hear what I think, just call me, 814-623-1118. Wow. So if, if, if nothing else, we know if you ever get into a fight with the president and he exposes your number, well, you already <laughs> gave it out here, so you're good to I'm go. I'm ready. I'll, I'll, take, I'll call you back if I can't pick up. <laughs> yes, and he definitely is very accessible and transparent. Thanks so much for joining us, Art. Good luck. Thank you, Dan. God bless. Bye-bye. God bless. That was Art Halverson, and he is running in Southwest Pennsylvania for Congress, formerly District 9, now supposedly District 13 or whatever else the crazy courts decide. Heck, maybe they'll strike down his candidacy. Who knows? Um, but he will have some competition from some members of that liberal Republican state legislature uh, you know, before the end of this primary. And you heard it. He gave out his uh, phone number. I, I believe I, I actually forgot, but I think when I interviewed him before uh, a couple of years ago, I think he did the same thing. Um, but I was not expecting that. So that is kind of interesting. Um, if you want to talk to him and if you have more questions that you feel weren't covered, feel free to use that number uh, that he just uh, gave out here today. And let me know as well if you want me to ask different questions if there are certain things you want me to ask of the candidates because like I said you know I'm moving away from hardcore endorsements for the most part uh, just to you know using this as a forum for candidates that at least on the surface are clearly oriented in our direction I mean I'm not going to open it up to people that I just know do not um, are not going to be useful at all uh, even on the face of it for what we're trying to uh, get done here and our agenda within conservatism but you know i do want to be a little bit more neutral and try to push them on some of the issues push them to make some commitments uh push for that transparency so tweet me at arm conservative or email me at dharwitz at crtv.com and i'm not as brave as art to give out my phone number yet so um between those two you should be able to get a hold of me even if i don't have time to respond i definitely will see it until next time this has been our second episode of Meet the Candidates and another episode of The Conservative Conscience. God bless you all.